Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Edgy talk, plain talk, unrivaled talk, Mike Graham. The only radio show you can count on for a proper serving of good old-fashioned common sense. In search of the perfect debate. The independent republic of Mike Graham. See it, hear it, think it. Talk radio and talk TV. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. What a day, ladies and gentlemen. The wind and the rain have disappeared. The sun has come out. Heavens for Fend. There might be a brush fire uh, in the horizon over in Hackney, um, over by the football pitches, if you're not careful, if it gets that hot. Uh, we'll be talking about the weather, of course, a little bit later on. Uh, there's still a massive amount of uh, uh, panic going on uh, in the BBC weather office, where they aren't really happy yet that it's got quite hot enough to make up uh, for the 48 degrees that they keep saying it's going to get to at some point this afternoon, somewhere uh, in the Mediterranean. But we'll come back to that. John Rental joins us for the first time in a while, uh, certainly the first time since the by-elections of last week. Uh, we'll be going through the tea leaves of what happened there. The Tories have suddenly rediscovered that they might actually have a chance of winning an election if they do away with net zero uh, and they do away with all these green commitments that they've made because actually the people are not very keen on them. Maybe finally they've worked out that if you don't just read YouGov polls and you actually read the runes of a by-election result, you can actually come to a different conclusion. We'll also be examining this rather unusual story about why the UK has suddenly paid £680 million for a new high-speed electric railway in Turkey. Not here. Uh, we've got some thoughts about that as well. 03444991000. We've got some Matt Ridley, Lord Matt Ridley, I should say, coming on uh, to talk about net zero and the commitments that we've made. Harry Miller is here to talk about almost 600 burglaries going unsolved every single day. Uh, Laura Dodsworth is here as well. Uh, she'll be talking about a whole course of things, including homeowners facing eye-watering £10,000 bills up in Scotland uh, because there's now a ban on gas boilers. The one place where you need them. Loads more going on, of course. 0344 499 1000 is the number. If you want to get in touch with us, we'll take your calls and augment and amplify your views and tell the people that matter exactly what you think. This is the Independent Republic, Mike Graham. Let's get it on. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Uh, John Rental is here. Very good morning to you, John. Nice to see you. Um, I was just saying to people the other day, um, uh, I was there uh, last night out sitting outside Borough Market, a very nice pub called the Market Pools. It was absolutely freezing. Rain started falling. You know, we were sitting there sort of huddling together for warmth. I thought it's like a night in November. Yeah, but the day before was... uh... 
It was, it People was keep telling rate. me it's very hot. It's really not. It's not hot at all. It was a nice breezy morning coming in today. It's a lovely sort of what I would call spring-like sort of day, about 19 well, no, degrees. That's a, that's a pleasant, cool summer morning, that is. Out I there. would say so, yeah. But certainly not, uh, you know, the dome of destruction that we keep hearing all about that, uh, you know, it's been the hottest year ever since records began. Well, it has been. Game Jenny so Jones was busy you, telling you can't, everyone. You can't argue with that. You could argue about whether it's El Nino or El Nina or whatever it is that's causing it. You can, um, but you uh, what you can't say is that it's the hottest we've ever seen in no, 120,000 years. No, but the one thing you can say, and the one thing that the cautious climate scientists do say, mm. is that the stuff that's happening in Europe is is made more likely by climate change. Well, maybe. They can say that. I mean, you say any number well, of things. But they can't well, no, but actually, it's true. They can't so, actually <laughs> tie the two things together. Yes, they but can. We're not here to argue about that. Uh, let's talk oh, about... Oh, aren't we? No. Well, I wanted to take issue with, with, your, with your introduction, talking about how, how unpopular net zero is with the, with the it is. public. That is not true, Mike, yes, it is. I'm afraid. Well, I'm it afraid is. you've been and hanging you, around in Westminster too long. You don't no. go out and about and talk to the real people of this country. Yeah, no, well, I, well, I look at opinion polls, which, yeah, uh, exactly. which, which are the only, point the only good the way to find out what no, people really not. think. No. Uh, and, and you can't quote Uxbridge as evidence that people have, are sceptical about net zero. Well, because it's an actual uh, because, by-election result. Well, no, because ULEZ is about, is about uh, clean air, no, not, uh, not people climate change. Think, but people I mean, people, yes. think, no, but hang on, people don't want anything to do with climate change if it costs them more money. If Correct. you say to them, do you like clean air? Do you want to have a world full of beautiful people? <laughs> everybody's got flowers in their hair. Yeah. It's all marvellous, and we all have a million pounds each. Yes, I'm in favour of it. Yes, I, ex- I, I right? accept. I accept that the, the one thing Uxbridge did show is that if green measures cost people money, uh, they don't like it. Exactly, they don't want it. So net zero is only popular in the polls because of the way they ask the question. Well, I mean, and and Labour in particular is 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 hung up on its ridiculous propaganda that that all this is going to be. Uh, not going to cost anything. Mm. Actually, it's going to create jobs if, yeah. we, if we go for net well, zero. Well, poor old Keir Starmer has, has that swallowed... That is not the case. Poor old Keir Starmer has swallowed the Kool-Aid, doesn't he? He thinks that you can create a load of green jobs and everybody will be happy and you can completely oh, reverse the uh, oil and gas field uh, exploration and turn it into wind farms. Yeah. And that's all very well if you're only talking to Ed Miliband, <laughs> you know, who thinks that there are fairies flying uh, around the bottom of his garden. Uh, absolutely, uh, abs- absolutely right. And it's, it's fascinating what's, uh, what's going on. But between the two between the two parties on this little green flip flip flopping yeah. we had we had Rishi Sunak yesterday not answering a not answering a simple question about banning petrol cars by uh, 2030 yes. uh, and then Michael Gove this morning uh, saying yes, definitely they are mm. going to be the, the sale of new petrol cars is going to be banned from 2030, and yes. that's an immovable date. Yes, but I think the trouble with Michael Gove is he says a lot of things, doesn't he? Um, it doesn't always well, turn out. He's a cabinet things. minister. Yeah, but I mean, and and, and he's also this... always telling me he's going to come on my show, and then he always goes <laughs> on everybody else's show and doesn't come on. So well, you know, what can I believe about Michael Gove? Well, well, what you can believe is that he said one thing at the weekend when he said he hadn't actually looked at this 2030 date recently, but he thought it was achievable. Whereas this morning he said it's absolutely immovable. Um, and uh, the policy still stands. So someone has spoken to him, mm. presumably from Number Ten. Yeah, but doesn't Michael Gove have a bit of a rep- got the government line? But doesn't he have a bit of a reputation for sometimes saying things that he thinks should be the government line, and it turns out actually he then goes quiet for a while. Well, yeah, possibly. He has but, done that in the past. But as well. I, I, th- I think the government, the government, thought about retreating a bit from yeah. uh, fr- from this 2030 deadline and then and then decided not to overnight. Yeah, I suspect what they will do, uh, if they're even in, ch- in charge at that particular time, which they may not be, yeah. uh, is they'll fudge it, because that's what they always do. You know, because already there are several fudges going on where people are asking the question, for example, well, what do I do in 2030 if I've got a petrol car? Do I sell it? 
Um, no, do you, I change it? Doesn't it? Affect, it doesn't affect existing cars. Well, it's, it does. It's just, it's just new cars. No, but of course it affects them because it affects them in the sense of their, their resale value. Well, yes, if you've got a true. car that's worthless, basically, yes. because presumably they'll have to start charging people some form of um, punishment in order to get rid of those cars. Because well, if you want to stop... That's not the policy yet. No, of course um, it's not. But you've been in this game a long time, John. <laughs> you know as well as I do that they're going to have two problems with electric cars. One, uh, they will lose £40 billion in road tax if they don't start charging... <coughs> Road they are, are going to start So electric charging. car owners yeah. are suddenly not going to have that, that sort of honeymoon period of having free driving, right? So they're going to have to start charging yeah. for that. Sadiq Khan's already talking about charging for, um, you know, per mile usage of the roads in addition to any Absolute. ULES charge. Absolutely. Um, they're going to yeah. also have to try and convince people who have got petrol cars to, to get rid of them. And, and replace them with electric cars. Well, eventually, yes. Yeah. But, I but, mean, but, but at know, what these point... Things, these things take time. But this is what I'm saying. Yeah. But at what point will that not be a fudge? Well, yeah. it will be. No, you're quite right. And there's, and there's evidence that the EU is actually retreating a little bit from some of these uh, yeah. intermediate targets. Because they're sort, of, um, they're sort of arbitrary targets that were dreamed up as sort of COP26 or 24 or 25 or something. You know, the ridiculous well, next one, COP28, is going to be in the United Arab Emirates. What a good <laughs> place uh, to talk about net zero and climate change. Well, in a way, it is a good place to talk about it because... Because that's where the problem lies, isn't it? You've got to. You've well, got it's to one of the out. many places where you, the problem you, you've lies. Got one to of the sort places out the problem. The yeah, but one of the places the problem doesn't lie is the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, which 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 produces hardly any CO two for the world. Well, I agree. I mean, uh, we produce one percent of mm. uh, of global warming right. uh, emissions. And, yes. Uh, you know, so 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 all this extinction rebellion talk about you know we're going to fry if we don't do yeah, it's right. uh, net zero. Is uh, is unfortunately it's not true, but I mean there is there is an argument for a for a pragmatic green approach, which is to to, to remain you know in line with with other countries. Listen, I've said all along I would be perfectly and be, keep up with the technology. I've said all along I'd be perfectly in favour uh, of switching over to green technology if in if fact it, didn't cost it was anything. it was the same cost or less. Yes, uh, and if it was as efficient. Yeah. Which it isn't in we, either case. Correct. So that's the problem. That is the problem. You know, we've got this story in Scotland where they're, they're going to start banning gas boilers. They've yeah. had that huge problem in New York City. I don't know if you've been reading that, where the governor of New York State issued this ludicrous dictum that all cookers in the New York City would have to be converted to electricity. And all the chefs and all the restaurants went absolutely nuts and yeah. said, you can't cook on electric uh, fires. What we need is gas. And so they've now had to reverse it and say you can now keep gas because right. gas is the most efficient way to cook. Absolutely. And it's the most efficient way to heat your house as well. And that is a problem which has which, which not yet been solved. Mm. And the same with electric cars. You know, electric cars are very expensive unless you happen to be worth quite a lot of money. You can't afford to buy one. Well, except the price is coming down all the time and the running costs well, the running are, costs are much, going up. much lower. No, they're not. No, the but they costs, are much lower. No, not since electricity went up. Now no. that electricity is at sort of limit up prices, it costs as much to drive an electric car now as it does to drive a petrol car. As as I've never had a car, I don't know. So what you you're shouldn't even be about, talking right? about it. <laughs> well, well done you. Your carbon emissions must be at a very low ebb. Well, they are, except that I I, I live in a very old uh, uh, house, which. Uh, <laughs> Which is not energy efficient. But that's the thing. You know, all these uh, people that want to insulate every single house, they don't tell you how they're going to do that or no. how they're going to pay for it or what's going to happen if they do do it. You know, there are so many of this of these kind of ridiculous messages that the government has been backing for a long time. And suddenly now, when it's time to pay the piper, Rishi Sunak's obviously worked out, well, maybe we could win the next election if we actually do away with some of this garbage. Well, I think, not as, I, mean, I think that's putting it too strongly. I, th- I think if, if the Conservatives are just a little bit on the pragmatic side or the sceptical mm. side of, of the green issue, 
uh, of you know and, and portray Labour as as eco zealots, mm. as the uh, Prime yes. Minister called them. Yeah. Uh, then that would be a successful political divide, and I think that will win them votes. And I yes, think I, the, th- I agree. The vast majority. Of people I agree, but it does not involve um, scrapping net zero. You've got to. You, you've got no, to. No, but it involves pretend, fudging it. You've got to pretend that this is a wonderful thing and an objective that everybody agrees problem. with, uh, and then and then say, but actually, there's some practical implications. But that's my problem because they're all pretending. They're all standing around. It's like the emperor's new clothes. <laughs> Brilliant. If we had net zero, whenever I ask any of them, what does it mean? Yeah. They can't tell me. Whenever I ask them, what will the effect of it be if you reach it? They don't know. When you say to them, well, how will we benefit from this? They can't tell you that either. Well, welcome. Oh, that's a brilliant idea. <laughs> anyway, John Rentals here. Uh, we're going to talk about Turkey in a minute because apparently we're paying for their railways. Uh, I don't know why. Uh, this is Talk TV. Nationwide, by your side, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. John Rental is here from The Independent. Interesting story that sort of hit the, hit the headlines last night. Uh, UK announces £680 million for a new high-speed electric railway in Turkey. It struck me that given the state of our railways, it might could do with a bit of an investment. I was actually looking up what the railways have been costing us of late. And do you know that in, I think it was 2021, um, the taxpayer gave the railways collectively 725 million quid to basically keep paying people uh, yeah, because I they mean, weren't because nobody was going on a train. Well, it's that's an awful that's lot of the, money, isn't it? Well, that's the effect of all the uh, of, of all the lockdowns. Of the lockdowns, yeah. Uh, but it's an awful lot of money, isn't it? Um, well, I'm, I, it could have been more. I mean, people people lose track once you once you once you get above you know half a billion, then uh, you know it's sort of. You know, it's it's just doesn't matter. Free, free well, money, this is the it? trouble with government uh, money, though, isn't it? It's our money that they're yeah. giving away, and they're very sort of uh, they sort of fritter it away without a, a care well, of the world. I mean, I mean, and and this is why I don't agree with the uh, the trade union demands for um, for inflation busting uh, pay rises. For, yeah, for, and obviously for, the, for the, the government. Workers. I mean, there are some poorly paid rail workers, but yeah. there are quite quite a lot of uh, oh, very of well drivers paid. Who well, get, get, and and get that, and the well. reason that you know they're well paid is because they keep taking time off to go on strike, and, <laughs> and they keep avoiding getting overtime pay. Well, so they obviously don't need it. Exactly, and if the railways are not making money, then uh, you know paying uh, paying the people who work on them more is mm. not the is not the solution. Uh, but this this Turkish business is, is 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 interesting. I'm not I can't work out whether the 680 million pounds is a is is underwriting yeah uh, loan, I think private sector loans uh because this is this is the this is the uk export credits yeah. um operation uh, and it's to support british i mean it's tied to british exports so yes. it's british companies supplying the the kit for yeah. this for this turkish railway in which in which case that sounds like sounds like yeah. possibly a good a good as deal given not... that we as taxpayers we give we give tata mm. uh, unknown billions because they won't tell us right. to build this this battery well, in, much, well, it could this be battery 500 million could certainly couldn't it yeah yeah but the government would argue that that is a good way of bringing business to britain well, and therefore is a, a sustainable thing well, it's the new protectionism because isn't it, it? Yeah. because joe biden's doing it in the states yeah. therefore we have to throw money at people mm. in order to get them to, to bring their business to I mean, it always the takes me back to the 60s. You'll probably remember this, when the Ford Fiesta was about to be built in Britain um, and they negotiated with the Wilson government uh, at Ford and they said, well, how much money are you going to give us? And in the end, they went and built it in Spain because Spain gave them more money. I'm not that old, actually, Mike, but uh, uh, I, I, I understand the principle. But that's, that was exactly what happened. You know, in those days, the, 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 the big American sort of car manufacturers used to just barter one government well, and, against but another. That, that's what, and that's who what, would give you the best deal? Yes. You'd go and build it there. But that's exactly what they did. That's what Tata did. Mm. with this battery factory. And I'm kind of unsure about whether that's a bad thing because in the end, if it creates jobs in Somerset, if, yeah. they, if they create an economy in Somerset and they and they get growth in Somerset as a result of people having decent jobs and getting well paid, yeah. then perhaps in the long run it's a good no, thing. No, well, it, well it's, it's a bad thing in principle because because subsidy is is, is, 
is bad. But if every if every yeah, country but it's in real the world politic, is, isn't it? If every country in the world yeah. is doing it, then we've got to do it too. If you're going to lose every single contract from and, every single manufacturer because you don't offer them any incentive, absolutely, then that's also bad. And so if we have to if we have to underwrite some some loans for this Turkish railway in order to create business for for British companies, then that's probably. I a good think thing. it's unfortunate the timing as ever <laughs> yes. because the railway system in this country is falling apart. Well, it does. We lead can't to... seem to build HS2, which is our own high speed railway, exactly. uh, at any kind of high speed. It seems to be a very low speed railway the way they're building it um, and also well also and it stops halfway outside London yeah but, you know. and most of the uh, trains now aren't run I mean even just this morning I heard on the travel news that Gatwick Express is not working yeah uh, because there's some work to rule going on well the trains um, the trains to and from London seem to work reasonably well but, up I to mean, a point if, if you're up in Manchester or Leeds yeah or, uh, anywhere, no but I mean last Northern. week we had two or three people coming in from sort of parts of Surrey um, and they were rerouted, all the trains were rerouted, they couldn't come to London Bridge, they were all going to Victoria. Yeah. So it's not perfect. But I wonder if we could go one step further and export Mick Lynch um, to Turkey <laughs> to help help them run the railways over there. Maybe we can bring them to a complete standstill and we can get our money back. <laughs> Shall we talk about the Labour Party? Um, because the, 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 the grubby hands of your... Um, uh, your, your former um, subject of your autobiography, uh, Mr <laughs> Blair, or the Blair creature, as Ben Hitchens calls him, uh, are all over the Labour Party now, aren't they? Well, uh, He's got them firmly in his, well, in his Finally, mix. yes. I mean, the, you know, Keir Starmer is, is doing uh, what he ought to be doing, which is... Uh, he's doing what he's told. Which is, which is taking lessons from, from the three-time election-winning, most successful Labour Prime Minister ever... Um, and doing uh, and asking the question, which uh, you know I always ask, which is, what would Tony do? Yeah, do that. Right. Well, it's funny, isn't it? Because there was that meeting, uh, that sort of conference that was held last week, the Blair week, Fest, the Blair Fest, uh, at which the question was asked, well, who can fix this terribly badly run country? And the answer came, it must be Tony Blair. Well, absolutely. You know, he's or, the only salvation. Or or, or uh, someone uh, such as Keir Starmer following the uh, the Blair prescription. So what do you think he's going to do come the election then? Because he's already alienated quite a few of his own party, isn't he? What What's TB going to do? No, what's Keir Starmer <laughs> going to do? I mean, well, he's, gonna, he's probably going to win it, Mike. Well, he's probably going to win it, yeah, but how, how is he going to win it and what's he going to promise and how well, is he going to keep all the various factions of the Labour Party um, from well, he's ruining finally, it all? He's because they will learned. ruin it. You know they'll ruin it. They will. Well, no, they, they always won't. do. They didn't, they didn't ruin it under, uh, under Tony Blair. Yeah, but that's because Tony, Tony Blair was far more ruthless about what he did. But Starmer doesn't seem to have a ruthless streak in him. Well, I don't know about that. He got, he got, he got rid of that northern um, mayor, Jamie Driscoll, um, which everyone said was, was, was going far too far. Mm. And, and now he's going to run as an independent, which is going to cause all sorts of problems. Yeah, exactly. I mean, so it's a bit like what, what Tony Blair did with, with, uh, with Ken Livingston. Right. But um, similarly with Jeremy Corbyn, who's going to run as an independent, presumably, in, well, uh, in I don't think, uh, North London, isn't he? Well, he might, but he'll lose, uh, I think. You sure? Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> He might not. But what I'm saying it's dangerous is, to make predictions what, what, what about I'm Jeremy saying, Corbyn. I suppose what I'm trying to say, not very well, is that he, the, the, the crown of Labour leader doesn't sit very yeah. sort of pleasantly on not, his head. not as good as Tony Blair, but no. he's, he's but nowhere he's, near. He's been he's been woefully underestimated. Mm. I would say. I mean, he's done a remarkable. But job. he also doesn't. I mean, he's been have, helped by the Tories. He also but, doesn't have the team around him that Tony Blair had because Tony Blair had a lot of very clever people around him, whether you like them or not. And I know people watching this and listening to it will not like many of them. Yeah. But, you know, they were very good at winning the election. Yeah, absolutely. No, and, but, you know, Keir Starmer's team is not as, not as bad as people thought it was, put it that way. Well, it's not, but it's still, you know, I still don't know. If you were to say to me, well, does Keir Starmer believe it? I still don't know. Well, yeah, but I mean, in a way, that doesn't matter as long as he says the right things. Um, well, no, I see. I think that's an awful thing to say. I think that really is condescending to the public who want to believe in somebody who believes in something. 
Yeah. But there isn't anyone. Because Rishi Sunak doesn't believe in anything either. Well, yeah, Keir, Keir Starmer believes, at least Keir Starmer believes in winning elections, which is... Well, he hasn't uh, which, won one yet. Which is a step Well, ahead. that's great, but he hasn't and won he, one yet. And he, and he understands what has to be done. Mm. And, uh, you know, he has to, he has to take a, a lot of but serious what, well, policy, all right, well, well, tough policy decisions. Let's look at his five, you know, his five sort of planks of his policies. He doesn't mention immigration. Um, he doesn't appear to have any rule on, on net zero. He doesn't really know what he's doing with that. No, you know, the two, well, I don't know. He still, he still struggles when uh, somebody asks him what a woman is. You know. Well, I think they've finally got to the right place on mm. that. Um, he still thinks some women can have a penis. Uh, well, he I does. He said a, it. The, yeah, but that's a sort of silly gotcha. It's not journalism. really. I mean, no, the, the, que- the question is... It's not is, silly is, to people in, 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 no, but in the question, a lot of those red wall seats. No, but the question, the, the question is, do you agree with uh, self-ID? And, and Labour Party finally doesn't, which is, uh, which is progress, right. I think. Well, not uh, everybody, and you, though. And do you agree with, with protecting women's um, uh, spaces in, right. in, 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 in you know, prisons and, mm-hmm. uh, and, and similar things? What about in department and, stores? No. What, changing rooms? Yeah. Well, that's a matter for the department store, isn't it? Um, is it? It's not a matter for the law. I see. Um, but I mean, that's that. You know, I mean, the, the, this there is, is what I mean. There's there a lot of confusion. No, the, the Labour policy is, 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 is finally in a, in a reasonably sensible place. Well, I disagree completely with that. <laughs> <laughs> Complete rubbish. But anyway, well, that's good. Yeah, that's Disagreement fine. is excellent. Um, finally, let's talk about the British Medical Association, who are still um, rampantly left-wing and not presumably supporters of Keir Starmer. It's not well, clear what would happen under under a Labour government when it comes to all these public sector workers. Uh, You'd be abs- pretty sure that not, they will no. bring him down faster than anybody else because well, they'll expect to get more money from him. Well, and and Keir Starmer's position on uh, on the doctors' pay is uh, is waffly and, yeah. and and incoherent. I completely Indeed. completely agree. I mean, I think it's it's obvious that if he were prime minister now, he would be offering the same um, the same as Rishi Sunak because he's got He'd the be same offering pot of the, money. The, indep- the independent pay review body um, uh, offer, which which incidentally is more than the the, the BM, BMA pays it pays its own staff. Right. Um, and so Keir Starmer should, should say that now. He should, and at the moment, his, and, and his moment, line is that Labour MPs should not go and join picket lines. Yes. And, well, his other line is that, uh, you know, the two sides should get round the table, which is, which is a total cop-out. Yeah, that's nonsense, isn't it? Well, I don't know what we've achieved in half an hour, John, but um, <laughs> I think we've had some very interesting conversations. Thank you very much indeed. John Rensel uh, from The Independent. We'll take your calls. Loads of you want to make them, particularly about net zero. We'll be talking um, coming up in the next hour, of course, uh, to uh, one man who knows an awful lot about it, Lord Ridley, former Conservative peer. Uh, he's written books about net zero. He'll tell us what is going on inside the Tory party. Uh, this is Talk TV. On the app, on your smart speaker, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republican, Mike Graham, right here on Talk TV. Tony in Barron Furness says, Mike, the 680 million railway in Turkey uh, is to underwrite the finances, uh, but Ronison's Holdings is a European company, primarily in Turkey and the Netherlands, who have a revenue of £4.1 billion. So instead of improving the infrastructure in Turkey, we should be improving the infrastructure in the UK and let the EU back them. Well, listen, I mean, you can make any number of uh, sort of cases, I suppose, for helping to build exports and to help build British uh, strength in European countries. But it does seem to me to be a bit of ironic uh, to spend 680 million quid uh, on a railway in Turkey when you could be spending it on a railway in this country where, in fact, um, the railways aren't working terribly well. Morning, says John in Glasgow. If net zero is that popular and everyone loves it, then why don't they give us a referendum on the matter? They won't because they know the people will tell them where to go. Well, I think that's right. Uh, and the only people interested in net zero are politicians, journalists and idiots, says Adam. 
Well, you could probably be all three of those things, I would imagine. Luckily, I'm not. Uh, let's talk to Harry Miller, though, from the Fair Cop Group, because we've got more bad news on the crime front. It looks as though almost 600 burglaries are going unsolved every single day. The number of break-ins across England and Wales where a suspect was not even identified totaled 213,279 in the last financial year alone. That's amazing. Incredible. Harry, very good morning to you, sir. Good morning, Mike. Yeah, those figures are absolutely terrible. But it's not all good. It's not all bad news this morning, Mike. Really? I'm, I'm very pleased to report that when the police do it correctly and they put their mind to something, they're able to make, have incredible results. For instance, my local force, Humberside, they've recently taken part in a thing called Operation Galaxy. Okay. Operation Galaxy is a form of hardline community policing. It's not wandering around chatting to people and saying hello to shopkeepers. It's going out at night... Uh, when, when the trouble's there and, and having a very visible presence. And I can tell you that in a very short period of time, there were over 650 arrests from that type of solid community policing. Now, what needs to happen is this sort of initiative needs rolling out across the country because when they target criminals, as opposed to people on Twitter, um, they get results. It's quite amazing, Mike, isn't it? Isn't the, more it? Police, the more police officers we have who are doing their duty, doing what they joined up to do, which is to catch the bad guy, the better results that we have. But we need to get them off of these diversity, inclusion and equality courses and get them back out onto the streets. That's what needs to happen. Yeah, absolutely right. But we keep being told that it is going to happen, don't we? We keep being told, certainly by the Metropolitan Police, that they're looking into the way that they do their policing in London, that they're making sure that they're not driven by the wrong kind of motivation, that they are, in fact, going after the bad guys. Well, how much longer is it going to take before more people do what you're describing? Well, I think it needs to be. I think it needs to be happening now, and of course, we're being led correctly now by the top because Suella Braverman is very much in favour of this sort of hardline community policing. This is what we need now. The other thing that we need is we need recruitment to be correct. That is a huge problem at the moment. For instance, in Humberside, unfortunately, we had a police officer who was recruited who went on his who went on the training course with his mother because he was a little bit nervous. Right. Now, that's not, the kind, that's not the kind of police officer that we want. We also have another police officer who goes to work with a support snail in a box in case he gets nervous. No, I'm not, I'm not joking, Mike. I'm not joking. Uh, there is a police officer who takes to work a support snail in case they get nervous and they need to get out the support snail to comfort themselves. That is not the kind of police officer that we want. Look, what we want is the well, Reagan... Who, who, what sort of maniac would allow somebody to bring a snail to the office in a box? Well, that, that's diversity and inclusion, Mike, isn't it? You is know, it? If, well, yes, yes, it's to bring, it's bring your whole self to work time, isn't it, in the police at the moment? And bringing your whole self to work might mean bringing your comfort snail to work. That is not the kind of police officer that is going to give us any form of comfort, Mike. You laugh and I laugh, but well, it's true. I'll tell you why we I'm laughing. Have, I've just been told... the streets going to support snails. Yeah. No, what, 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 hang on. The reason I'm laughing is because I've just been told the snail died. Oh, did it? Yeah. <laughs> sorry to laugh but you know you can't help it apparently his name was sid <laughs> it's true mike what we what we want is good old-fashioned style police now we know that back in the days of the sweeney with reagan and carter they were a little bit sexist maybe a little bit homophobic but i tell you what if your house had been burgled you want them on the job not some flipping fella with a support snail right. wouldn't you exactly. what we, need, we need to return to the canteen culture 
Not We don't need to get rid of it. We need to return to the canteen culture where police officers can trust one another, where they are absolutely busting a gut to get out of the canteen or playing snooker or whatever it is they do during their refs break and get out and start arresting criminals. That's what we want. Now, of course, we don't want the very worst of the canteen culture. We don't want officers in there playing snooker whose nickname is the rapist. Of course, we don't want that. But what we do want is a police force and police officers who trust one another. Yes who are able to have private conversations without the risk of them being reported by a colleague who wants to climb up the slippery pole because they've said something that's a little bit off-colour or a little bit politically incorrect mm. or have expressed the view that a woman can't have a penis. We want a good old-fashioned police force with police officers who are brave, who are courageous, and whose one thought in life is to get out there, serve the public and lock up bad guys. Yes, it doesn't seem difficult, does it? But, I mean, to have 600 burglaries a day going unsolved has another effect, which is that the burglars, the people who do the burglaring, um, are never going to be put off from doing it because they'll be told and they'll be saying to each other, well, there's a pretty good chance that not only will I not be caught, but I won't even be identified. Nobody will come and find my fingerprints. You know, it's a sort of charter for just theft, isn't it? Well, that's exactly because, unfortunately, we have a situation where the police prioritise uh, crime um, in all kinds of weird ways. For instance, if you're burgled, uh, the chances are that you're not, you are not going to get a visit by a police officer, even though Suella Breverman has said that she wants all uh, victims of burglary to be visited. The chances are you're not going to be visited. If you put up a funny tweet, you're going to be contacted within 24 hours yes. or 48 hours at the most. I know this, Mike, because I reported myself this weekend uh, for, for a couple of her tweets and um, I used a false name obviously yeah. uh, and uh, and the police the, the police got in touch with me within 24 hours wow. wondering, if was, wondering if I was happy to give a statement and was I prepared to go to court over a tweet I did that simply to, mm. to test the system so they basically acted on a complaint from somebody that didn't exist they didn't bother to check that the yeah. person making the complaint was real but they came after yeah. you anyway yeah, yeah, yeah. They contacted me as the victim. They contacted me as the victim and said, what about what I be prepared to go to court against Harry? Miller? Oh, sorry. They contacted you as the person making the complaint. Yeah, I complained against myself. I right. used a false. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because yeah. I wanted I wanted to I wanted to tr stress test the system. Yes. I wanted to see how quickly the police would react to a hurty tweet mm. as opposed to more serious crime. And of course, the, the the sad answer is they contacted me within 48 hours and were inviting me to a meeting where I would give a statement and said, would I would I be prepared to go to court for this heinous crime? Unbelievable. But did they contact you as the perpetrator of the said crime? No, they haven't yet contacted me as the perpetrator of the said crime. But when they do, Mike, you'll be the first to know because I'm going to record it all. Well, wouldn't it be funny if you did go and have that meeting with them and say that you were prepared to go to court and then they turn up um, to see you as the vic as the perpetrator, and it turns out you're the same bloke. Yeah, exactly. Well, that, 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 that's, that's exactly it, Mike. That's precisely what I'm going to do. <laughs> I, I, I like to troll these people. You, won't be, you better be careful. Well, because, it's fun, Mike, because it's serious. Because whilst they're busy, whilst they're busy acting on tweets and nonsense like that and for instance the Met rolling out this new LGBTQI task force a sort of Stonewall Sweeney yeah. if you like I mean I um, suppose they might do you for wasting police time so you should probably I don't care Mike I, I, don't, I don't care they can do me police time wasting police time because what I will do I will defend myself and I will say this is the reason that I have done it I've done it as a public service yes. to show just how completely messed up our policing mm. priorities are 
Yeah. I think it's sort of taking a rap for that, Mike, don't you? I think you're probably right. And it takes us on to um, the banking story because the banks have all been talking about how they certainly absolutely do not willy-nilly close down people's bank accounts, but they might look at your social media if somebody complains. So it's the same kind of world, isn't it? So here we have um, you know, the, the fallout still going on from the Nigel Farage coots row, um, but lots of other banks admitting that, yes, they do look at people's social media. No, that's exactly right. Well, when I was when I was chairman of the Reclaim Party, we had a one hell of a job uh, getting a bank account. Metro cancelled us. Right. Uh, we weren't allowed a bank account. Now, what happens if the banks won't allow you to have a bank account? This is what happens. You are forced uh, to enter a black market of money collection and money distribution. What you want to do, you want to have a bank account where all the money in, in is logged and all the money out is logged so that you can be scrutinised and everybody can see that you are doing the right thing. But when the bank themselves will not let you bank with them because their your values apparently do not align with their values, you are forced into a black market situation. Yeah. Now, I got around that because I'm a clever chairman um, and we set up a limited company, um, which I was, I, I was a CEO of that. And uh, we operated trade. Uh, we operated a trading account through that, so we got round it without actually breaking any laws. But this is how bad it is, Mike. They are trying to force people whose values do not align with them into a black market to, to in, in effect, to criminalise them and to, well not allow them to partake in the more serious business of society. Yeah. Politics is a serious business. And if you are only allowed to join in the political business, if you have a certain set of values, that necessarily restricts the number of people who can be within the political arena, doesn't it? Yeah, it absolutely does. I mean, now that we've got an apology from the BBC, I mean, I don't know how much longer it was going to take for them to actually work out that they'd got it completely wrong and they should say sorry. They've now said sorry. Um, but surely now uh, Dame Alison Rose uh, is in the frame for uh, not only having to apologise personally, but, but for having to either admit or, or, or disavow that she was the source for the story. Well, it sounds very much, doesn't it, Mike, as though there was a little bit of chit-chat went on at a, at a charity dinner and the following day, of course... It well, I think she the... needs to confirm or deny that, doesn't she? No, I, th I, think that's I think that's exactly what... But either way, you know, Coots had this information and it got out into the public, so it's down to them, entirely down to them. And we can't be having this shaming people because of their political views. If you really are literal Hitler, then fair enough. Let's not let let's not you have a, a have a bank account. But Nigel Farage is many things, but literal Hitler he is not. Yes, exactly right. Well, listen, uh, good to talk to you, Harry. Do keep us informed on your uh, uh, little uh, exercise with the police to see what uh, Twitter following they may or may not decide to have. Uh, 0344 499 1000 is the number. We'll take some calls coming up and we'll talk more very shortly about Net Zero. Good morning and welcome back to the Independent Republican Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Coming up in this hour, we're going to be talking to Lord Matt Ridley. He's going to talk to us about uh, the latest news from Conservative Party HQ, which is sudden, some, somewhat encouraging, you might say. It looks as though they might have woken up when it comes to uh, the net zero scenario, because, of course, Uxbridge and the by-election that happened last Thursday uh, and the win that the uh, Tories managed to get out of it uh, has convinced some people, maybe even Rishi Sunak, the Prime Minister, that perhaps going down the route uh, of climate change and going down the route of net zero and ULES charges might not be the way to go. You'll hear lots of people saying, oh yeah, but the thing about ULES is it's not actually about net zero. It's not actually about a net zero policy. It's about cleaner air. 
Well, yeah, but everybody sees it as a cost of living charge. They see it as a tax put on you driving your car because they don't want you to drive your car. Uh, also up in Scotland, we're going to be talking about the SNP's plan to effectively ban the sale of houses if they've got gas boilers in them. Absolutely extraordinary times. Lord Matt Ridley's written about this an awful lot, of course, um, and uh, he's also got plenty to say about the BBC and their rather alarmist weather forecast, which have been going now for at least a week, in which every single day they talk about somewhere whether it be Sicily, whether it be somewhere else in Italy, whether it be somewhere else in Greece, suddenly going up to somewhere between 48 and 52 degrees centigrade. Generally speaking, uh, the temperature never gets that high, but they keep producing these maps which are glowing red, furnace red, uh, making people frightened to go out in the midday sun. Let's find out what it's all about. Uh, Lord Ridley, very good morning to you. Good morning, Mike. How are you? I'm very well indeed. Very well. I mean, uh, I was saying to uh, somebody this morning on the show that I was sitting outside a pub in Borough Market last night and it could have been November it was that cold. You know, we were sitting there, the rain started falling, the wind started hurling and howling around us and people were wearing raincoats, people were wearing overcoats. I mean, it's not much of a summer as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, well, here in Northumberland, it was bitterly cold at the weekend and uh, and stonkingly wet right. um the, the kind of summer i remember from my childhood yeah we have generally warmer weather these days um uh, mostly in winter actually the the effect on summer temperatures has been much less if you look at the data um, but we still get cold spells we still get mild spells you know the variability in our weather means is far more important than the trend Oh, absolutely right. And I mean, it is pretty hot in uh, Europe at the moment in the summer, but a couple of weeks ago, it wasn't anywhere near as hot as it currently is. And this kind of um, rush to judgment to say that this is why just stop oil are right and all these people going, this is why we have to stop exploring uh, for oil and gas in the North Sea. I mean, plainly, the two things are not connected. We know, for example, that in, in, uh, uh, in Greece, we're, we're, most of the fires that have started there and the most recent ones are also being attributed to arson. Nothing to do with, you know, the fact that suddenly the earth is, is spontaneously combusting. Well, you know, it's, it's very instructive to look at the, uh, the temperatures that are being seen in the Mediterranean at the moment. Yes, it's, a, it's very hot there, yeah. um, but it's no hotter than it has been in the past. Otherwise, records would be being broken. Right. Now, every now and then they say there is a record broken. There was some thermometer on the roof of some building in Rome that recorded a, an unusually high temperature, much, much higher than, than the reliable thermometers that... that, that they normally rely on um but you know in sicily they were talking about 47 degrees when it was actually 38 yeah. uh, in the same place so something's gone wrong with the way the bbc in particular talks about heat um huge exaggeration uh, very little reflection on how these temperatures have happened before i expected i've been covering climate change on and off for nearly 40 years since i was science editor of the economist yeah. i expected that we would actually see more records broken than we have it, it you know it's very unusual to, to 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 actually hear of a of a new record temperature for a whole continent let alone uh, or even for for an individual country um uh, so yes there's warming happening but it's not happening particularly fast and it's still seeing extremes that we could have seen 20, 30 years ago. Yeah, and we keep seeing stories being published by the BBC. There's one today uh, on the BBC weather um, Twitter feed in which it says that Europe and US heat waves near impossible without climate change. And they're quoting somebody uh, called Julie Arigi from the Red Cross Red Crescent Climate Centre. You kind of go in, 
Well, I mean, you can say that, but uh, you don't actually have any evidence to back it up. So why would you then publish it as part of a BBC kind of fact-based uh, piece of journalism? Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't go to the Red Cross for data on, on, on climate. I'd no. go for them for other issues. Uh, the Death Valley... Uh, recorded its record temperature in 1913. Right. It hasn't managed to break that since. Now, there might have been something dodgy about the thermometer that year, but uh, apparently not. Uh, the point is, it's an extremely hot place uh, and was an extremely hot place 100 years ago. That's not to say the climate's not changing. I've always maintained and will continue to maintain that we are experiencing man-made warming. You know, I'm not a denier or anything like that. But, but that's such uh, a the, ludicrous the phrase well, is the it? problem. And there's also another problem, by the way, which is to, to attribute any storm, flood, drought or heat wave to uh, human beings. This is returning to a sort of pre-modern way of looking at the world. I mean, in, in, the middle, in the Middle Ages, expulsions of Jews from countries happened much more often after bad weather. Why? Because they were blaming the Jews for the bad weather in a very unpleasant way. Mm. Um, I think there's an element of this. I'm not saying it's, 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 it's as bad today, but there is an element of saying, let's find somebody to blame for a heat wave. Actually, in, heat waves have increased, but droughts, droughts, floods and storms have not. No. And I mean, once again, the BBC is guilty, I have to say, and I don't mean to pick on the BBC, but they seem to be particularly bad uh, in this particular period of time uh, at, at making predictions sound like they're actually happening. So, for example, they've got a story about Algeria saying that um, 26 people were injured, 1,500 evacuated from their homes. Uh, they were battling fires in, in Algeria, basically saying that a record heatwave in recent days has got temperatures reaching 48 degrees. Now, I can't find any... Um, credible source which will put the temperatures any higher in Algiers and other parts of Algeria than about 35. So I don't know where the 48 is coming from, but they keep repeating it as if it's some kind of magic number that if, it, if, if they predict that it will reach 48, it somehow does. I don't, I, I'm afraid I'm no expert on Algerian weather forecasting. Well, neither so am I, I but neither are I they, obviously. I can't confirm or deny. But I do agree with you that we've often, in the last few weeks, we've seen an awful lot of predictions. You know, the prediction that the that Sicily would break the European record, the prediction that Spain would hit uh, 47, 48 degrees, um, the prediction that, that Rome would hit 47, 48 degrees. And most of these predictions have not been uh, borne out. So uh, there is there is a problem here with... Uh, with uh, presenting predictions as if they're going to be fact. Yes. And I, I think, you know, and that plus, of course, the, the extraordinary change in the colour palette they're oh, using for the forecasts. Yeah. I mean, you know, painting Britain uh, lurid fluorescent pink mm. uh, when it's 18 degrees in right. Northumberland. I, I don't quite understand what's going on there. Yeah, but there I is do. something going on, and that's the bit that's the most puzzling, isn't it? Because it's clear that there is somebody making a deliberate decision to change the colour code, to make you feel like there's something else going on, um, and to make you think that it's a lot hotter, apparently, in Europe than it is. Well, we know that. We know that the BBC had meetings at very senior level to decide some years ago that they would no longer be neutral on the topic of climate change. They would no longer seek out diverse views, uh, that they it was their duty to present it as a frightening scenario um, uh, that uh, the world must uh, be paying attention to. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. 
Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Uh, and they gave up the idea of objectivity. I mean, they, you know, they, they allowed activists to dictate to them uh, the way they should cover a story. I don't think that's uh, responsible on the mm. part of the BBC. I think they ought to be much more measured and much more careful in the way they report these things. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Meanwhile, let's talk about the sort of uh, the net zero conversation in general. It looks as though uh, Rishi Sunak might be watering down perhaps or at least being considering watering down some of the net zero targets that uh, the Conservative Party have brought in to law already. Um, in the wake of the by-election in Uxbridge, I don't know whether they've jumped to the wrong conclusion or whether that happens to be just something that, that, that has happened at the same time. But clearly the people who didn't want an expanded ULES zone for outer London and, and the surrounding sort of areas uh, out to the uh, M25 have basically said um, to the Tories, well, maybe there's a chink in the armour. Maybe you could win an election if you drop some of this green agenda. I think the Uxbridge by-election has been a shock and a wake-up call to the Conservative Party. Some of us have been warning for many years that the costs of the uh, climate agenda uh, are going to meet serious resistance. And we're basing that on, you know, like I I live in the north of England, I I talk to ordinary people, I talk to plumbers who are taking out um, uh, heat pumps they've just put in because people find them inadequate. I talk to people who do not think electric cars are going to meet their needs, uh, let alone by 2030. Um, So I I can see that the pain of these policies is already meeting resistance. And it's all very well public opinion polls telling the party that that climate change is a uh, concern and that net zero is a priority for people. But the moment people feel real costs, they may well change Mm. their view. Things like the rising cost of energy as a result of all these wind farms which are putting up costs not pulling them down by mm. the way that evidence is very clear now um things like that uh, are slow slow pain and the like the apocryphal frog that doesn't realize it's about to be boiled yes. people perhaps are not not recognizing that but something like ULES that brings in a sudden and painful um uh, uh cost to people justified by uh, green energy policies 
uh, is a, an example of the, the and it's going to get far worse. You know, 20, imagine fighting a general election mm. in 2030, a year we probably will be fighting a general election uh, with the shadow of uh, a ban on all petrol and diesel cars yeah. from that date uh, and with the enormous cost and general problems of um, uh, electric cars at the time. Yeah, well, indeed. And also what to do about people who have already got a petrol or a diesel car and whether it's worth any money whatsoever um, and what they then do about converting it into something else. The other um, news story today I wanted to mention to you, uh, Lord Ridley, was the SNP's plan to basically try and bring in legislation which would make it very difficult or nigh on impossible for somebody to sell a house in Scotland if it still had a gas boiler. I think this is extraordinary. Mm. I mean, the cost of heating a house with anything other than a gas boiler can be much, much higher. Yeah. Now, gas obviously went up in price because of the um, uh, uh, the war in Ukraine. Uh, but but uh, taking that, now that the gas prices are coming down, it's no longer the case. And the heat pumps are, use an enormous amount of electricity, which has also gone up in price. Uh, and generally deliver pretty unsatisfactory heat in particularly cold weather. Now, last time I checked, they have quite a lot of that weather in Scotland in the winter. Um, so uh, it's, it, it, this reminds me of what the Labour government did in 2009, which was to ban incandescent light bulbs mm. and force us all to adopt a deeply inferior technology, the compact fluorescent bulb, which didn't work as well, gave pallid light, turned on more slowly, cost a lot more, uh, was toxic to dispose of. Um, and people didn't like that at all. It cost three billion pounds. But the real point there is that actually you didn't need to do that because the LED revolution was just around the corner and people willingly adopted LEDs, which are a way superior technology that uses much less energy and is just as efficient as incandescents. So it was unnecessary to ban the competition to try and force a technology on the public. I think that's what we're doing with home heating. Yeah, I think that's right. Lord really great to talk to you as ever. Thanks very much indeed. Former Conservative peer, of course, uh, talking about the madness uh, of some of the policies being introduced in this uh, state that we are currently in. And also the craziness of the way the weather is being reported by the BBC. What's it all about? Laura Dodsworth will be here next. She'll probably explain some of that. This is Talk TV. Nationwide, by your side, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Just before we speak to Laura Dodsworth, got another tweet uh, about these ghastly solicitors, this firm uh, of solicitors who are uh, helping illegal migrants stay in this country by encouraging them to tell lies to the Home Office when they get interviewed about their status. Rishi Sunak, the Prime Minister, has now tweeted out. He says, this is what we are up against. The Labour Party, a subset of lawyers, criminal gangs, they're all on the same side, propping up a system of exploitation that profits from getting people to the UK illegally. He says, I have a plan to stop it. And we'll bring you more on what he says his plan is, because he is actually uh, putting down some quite interesting uh, markers now, saying that this is what we've done, this is what we will achieve, and this is how we're going to do it. So we'll come back to that uh, in a moment. Right now, though, let's say a very good morning to Laura Dodsworth. Laura, how are you? Good morning. I'm very well, thank you. How are you, Mike? I'm very well indeed. It's quite interesting seeing you on a, on a Zoom call because we haven't done this for a while. Um, but uh, I suddenly was sitting and going, where is she? And then I suddenly remembered you'd said you weren't going to be here today. So anyway, how's, it, how's the week going for you so far? 
Good. Well, it's a busy week. I'm really sorry that I can't be in with you, but um, my new book, Free Your Mind, came out last week. So I've got some interviews today in other parts of the country, and I'm heading up to Blackwell's in Oxford tonight for a book talk. Oh, very nice. Uh, and the book nearly sold out, but there's a few few seats left for anyone in Oxford who's interested. Okay. And the book's going well? It is going well, yes. Mm. Yeah, so the first reviews are coming in and they're really nice, which is which is what you live for as a writer. There's all the fun of writing it and there's the fun of finding out what people think of it. So yes. it's going well so far. And are you one yeah. of those people that cares what people think of it? Yes. Are you? Yeah, I am, yeah. <laughs> the, especially the readers, that's yeah. the thing. I mean, I I don't want to write it and then, and then nobody likes it. Look, this is a book about how to resist influence, but I can't pretend I don't want to influence people to not be influenced. They've got to like the book for that to happen. So... Yes, I care. There'll always be somebody who doesn't like it, but as long as most people like it and get yes. something from it, that's what counts. I mean, that's, I think, what you live for, isn't it? I mean, it's like me. I mean, I get loads of people uh, on Twitter telling me that I'm useless and I haven't got anybody watching my show and it's all crap and all the rest of it. But it doesn't bother me because I know there are a lot of people who don't think that. Um, so we move onwards and upwards. Um, let's talk about some things. I was talking to Lord Matt Ridley just, just a moment ago about this heat pump thing uh, in Scotland. The SNP su- supposedly suggesting that they're going to bring in some laws, thanks to the Green Party, that might make it illegal for you to sell a house if it has a gas boiler amazing yeah it is incredible i mean i was i this is something i really wanted to talk to you about today but obviously you've had the superlative matt ridley on before me so i won't have much to add i suppose the angle i'd like to give it is that at the moment you've got the snp saying that they want another once in a lifetime independence referendum they've already had one but obviously the people didn't vote the right way, so they want another one. So Hamza Yousaf and his party claim to be all about independence. Mm. But what, I mean, how much do they care about the genuine independence of Scottish citizens? They passed the hate crime bill, which affects how Scottish people can talk, even in the privacy of their own home. And now they want to intrude even further into people's homes and tell them how to heat their homes. This requirement that people will need an EPC rating right. it's just a really sneaky backdoor method to make sure that people install heat pumps and you've got to remember a lot of old homes won't operate well with heat pumps so they're basically condemning people to an expensive uh, method of heating their home which will impoverish them otherwise they can't sell their homes yeah. I mean, whose property is it? Is it yours or is it the property of the Scottish National Party? Yeah. What does independence really mean to the Scottish National Party? Well, this is what it means to so many people in government now that not only can they tell you where you can go, what you can do when you get there, what you should wear on your face when you go there, uh, but now what you can do in your own home and whether you can sell it. They absolutely have become drunk on their own power, haven't they? It's outrageous. I mean, I see this as an attack on um, individual independence, as I said, but also property rights. Mm. Now, when heat pumps are good enough, people will buy them and install them. But they shouldn't be trying to force people into an extremely expensive and inefficient method of heating their homes. How do you tally, tally that up with all of the heat wave hysteria at the moment? Mm. We are supposed to be falling out over ourselves in fear about heat waves, wildfires that seem to mm. supposedly be started by arsonists yeah. and lurid weather maps. And they're not talking about all the people that die from cold. They don't care. They just don't care right. about cold winter deaths. And they certainly don't care that we're having one of the most ridiculously cool Julys we've ever had. You know, compared to last year, it's positively freezing. The important thing for people to remember about what they see on their phone screen, their computer screen and their TV screen, we think of these things as windows into reality. They're not their screens. There's a a whole chapter in my new book about... (laughs) 
how TV can um, pull the wool over your eyes and be used for propaganda. Mm. Screens were historically used to screen you from things, from fires or from messy parts of the room. Anything you see on the media is a mediated version of reality. That's literally the root of the word. So if you're worried about um, things you're seeing on the TV, I'd urge people to just open, open the curtains Look outside, open the front door, step outside. Are you dying in a fireball? Not yet. No, absolutely not. But you see more and more bizarre behaviour, though. We've got um, an EasyJet flight today, um, flying to Rhodes. The pilot, uh, before it took off, issues a warning to the passengers to say, basically, travelling to Rhodes for a holiday at the moment is a terrible idea. As far as I'm concerned, this flight is being operated on an emergency basis. Return flights are now being managed by the military. And if you want to get off the flight, you're welcome to do so. And several people got off the plane. Now, there's no suggestion there's a problem at uh, Rhodes Airport. The, the, the airport's operating normally. I don't, as far as I know, understand that the military are organising airlifts or evacuation flights. They're being run by the airlines as, as normal. You know, there's a certain amount of hysteria that people seem to want to enjoy. Mm. I think people are um, addicted to fear. We're very, we're very emotional, and emotion takes over the rational part of the brain. Fear mm. is the steam in that emotional engine. And people submit to it and succumb to it very easily. We see it over and over. Uh, 23 years ago, people worried about Y2K, making planes fall out of the sky, yes. and um, computers were so stupid we're going to die. Now uh, we see AI as a mass extinction threat. Mm. You know, there was a time when people thought Halley's Comet meant the end of the world. The Mayans um, predicted the end of the world, came and went. Um, COVID, net zero. Funny enough, they didn't it's predict... One, it's uh, one apocalyptic doom after another. I was going to say, funny enough, here, they, though, aren't we? the Mayans didn't predict the end of the Mayans. No, <laughs> no. I think the problem is now that people think it's literally um, it's literally imminent. But we, we were told we had a minute to midnight years ago. Yeah. So where are we now then? I think where we are now is a time when our emotions are being relentlessly exploited against us. Now, can I talk to you about Sadiq Khan's new May campaign? Yeah, you must. Yeah, Kevin O'Sullivan and okay. I have been, have been uh, discussing this. It's quite. There's a couple of funny tweets, but but you carry on. Okay, so. Um, it seems laudable, obviously, to um, engage in any efforts to reduce genuine misogyny and violence against women, just like it's laudable to reduce all crime. Unfortunately, Sadiq Khan's new campaign has been met with widespread derision. It's incredibly cringeworthy to watch. And I'm not cringing at the so-called sexism of the the one poor guy who's set up as the full guy in this melange. Right. Um, no, it's, it's actually the techniques they use. So there's a poster that Ogilvy have produced explaining the origins of the word may yeah. in this campaign, why they've, why they've used the word that way. And what this poster makes clear is that Buddy Khan and the, the wonks at Ogilvy literally think we're all Pavlov's dog. So they have elongated the vowel, A, and then they've got this hard T at the end, mate. And does it remind you of anything? It's how we teach our dogs to say sit, mm. sit. Do you remember when people used to teach their dogs to sit that yes. way? Um, famous kind of dog behavioural uh, behavioralist. I can't remember her name yeah, now. Barbara Woodhouse. Um, but 
that's it. Barbara yeah. Woodhouse. So Ogilvy and Sadiq Khan are doing a Barbara Woodhouse on you. You know, they've literally put this out there. That's why they've they've used the word in this way. Mm. They they literally could just have a little bell uh, to make dogs salivate and say their job job's done. If anyone doesn't know the story of Pavlov's dog, that's it. He trained he trained dogs to salivate when he rang a bell to expect food then so they're they're talking to us like we're dogs but if you watch the ad it's cringy for other reasons as well now it should work because it's using well-known behavioral science techniques it's using conformity it shows you a group of men and all of the group apart from one are the good guys you know they go to the gym they play games they're all they're ordering spicy chicken together they're all lads but one guy and notes by the way he's the only white guy in the mix (laughs) Um, keeps making sexist comments and if you watch the interaction version of the the interactive version of the ad you're invited to press on a button that says mate to interrupt his supposedly awful sexist behavior but it's so cringe and it's so unreal and it just shows that the the people that specialize in this kind of behavioral science just don't really know real people Mm. there's some quite depressing archetypes at the heart of it as well it's obvious that Sadiq Khan seen sexist as a real kind of working class lad problem, mm. um, because they're all they're all these you know they're these young working class lads. I don't think they'd have had the courage to make somebody black or Asian sexist. They've picked the white I guy. Mean, you know, the white guy has they, to be. They haven't the sort of decided. It's funny, isn't it? They haven't decided to march into the Regent's Park Mosque and walk into the place where all the men are and go, mate, what, why have you got any women in here, mate? They would never do that, would they? So this positions sexism as a working class white man's problem um, to an extent. And I think that's I think that's really unfair. I mean, I think that there's it's a lot of as well. young white men who feel bludgeoned by so-called toxic masculinity. Yeah. I know my sons do. And um, it's a shame that this, archety- this, this ad, which is supposed to be busting tropes, falls into tropes. Yeah. The only good thing about this trope is I can't actually wait for Sadiq Khan now to face something sexist. Yes. So I can shout May yeah. at him. Well, I mean, I'm sure you won't have to wait long um, because one of the tweets I was going to refer to has been sent out about, do you remember the, the, the character who was uh, urging um, the, at the gay pride event um, people to punch turfs in the face? Now, um, I don't know whether sexism is, is at play there, but it sounds a bit like it. It's not really misogyny, um, but punching turfs in the face. And somebody said, you know, is the mayor of London going to call this out? Because this is bad behaviour by a man uh, who's pretending to be a woman, um, threatening to punch women. But apparently that's OK. No, of course not. Yeah, I mean, it's it's just outrageous. I think any of us with a brain can see that this ad is cringy. It um, falls into really unpleasant stereotypes about the working class and, and white lads. And it doesn't address any of the actual problems right. of mis- misogyny and violence against women. And also, while men should call each other out when they see things, this isn't just a man problem. What about helping women to call out the problems? What about fixing the misogyny problem in the police? I, I just think it's a total deflection. It's it's saying, you know, it's it's the problem of you lot over there, you gammons, you're the problem. Yeah. Um, and there's no problem with my Met Police. There's no problem with me. There's no problem with structural racism. The whole thing's a joke. It really is. But it's also, as far as I'm concerned, it's the, it's a classic case of when nudge goes really wrong. When the behavioural scientists with their 
um, you know, ivory tower academic lives think they know ordinary people, and they don't at all. Of course they don't. Also, they don't understand how people interact. And if you are uh, one of those people that says things like mates, because they are, I would argue that they may not have taken it from Barbara Woodhouse, they may have taken it from a particular kind of strata uh, of of young men who currently inhabit an awful lot of the bars that I go to in London, who behave in a very ob, ob, obscure way. They've all got beards. They all kind of wear the same clothes. They're all kind of super virtue signalers all the time. My daughter was just here from Dubai again, and she was like, I can't believe how woke London is now. You know, she used to live here uh, for many a year, and she's like, it's worse than I've ever seen it. You know, people are frightened yeah. to say things that might be overheard, that might be seemingly deemed as offensive, you know, and she's basically saying that she never thought she'd live to see the day that living um, in a place like Dubai would actually be more free in terms of what you can say to each other than Britain. Mm. Well, I think that's a really good point. You know, we expect propaganda, we expect autocracy in certain sorts of other countries, not our country. Right. But actually, propaganda is rife and there's a, there's a soft form of autocracy, which is not so immediately obvious. But of course, when you spot the techniques, you see them everywhere. That's why I like calling out things like this, this campaign. It's what the new book's all about, Free Your Mind. Because once people spot the techniques and the biases that are exploited against them, such as conformity in this mate ad, you know, everyone's supposed to want to be in the good group. Um, you're more resistant. You, you're not likely to be as exploited once you know how to see to see the techniques being used against you. It's absolutely right. Let's talk a bit about Twitter because we haven't done this really yet. Um, Twitter, apparently, according to Elon Musk, needs to be renamed. Um, but more interestingly, today I'm reading that he's thinking of maybe turning it into some kind of online banking facility, which slightly worries me because you know you can be blocked from uh, your Twitter account pretty easily for being not particularly offensive. Um, presumably, you would also be able to block you from getting access to your money. Yeah, I mean, it's it's not a very appealing idea for those of us who have experienced and witnessed censorship, shadow banning, boosting content, de-boosting content. Um, really, understanding Twitter is a bit like getting to grips with sorcery. It's like a magic <laughs> crystal ball. Yeah. You don't know. You don't know how it works. They don't really tell you how it works. They used to say they didn't do shadow banning, and then a Project Veritas video revealed they did. And then the Twitter files in the US, and oh please, let us get one in the in the UK one day, revealed all the ways that they had been using algorithm, but also human intervention in order to suppress people's accounts or outright boot them off. The idea that I would put any of my money into a one-stop Twitter shop um, and rely on it is absolutely laughable. There's no transparency. We don't know how the algorithms work. We know that governments have a back door into Twitter and so many big tech platforms. So while you've got Sadiq Khan saying, no, it's outrageous, um, banks shouldn't debank people as mm. coots to Nigel Farage, mm. in the background, we've got big tech tech companies developing um, finance solutions for us and we've got the Bank of England consulting on central bank digital currencies which could be identity-based and therefore programmable and therefore feasibly run a little bit like China's social credit system. I won't be putting any of my money in Twitter, I won't be relying on it for my business, I won't be voting through it, you know, whatever they plan to do with it, it's a no. And I have to say I'm not a fan of the X. I'm a bit suspicious of anything that's branded x yeah. the bird was friendly the bird was cute 
Um, I like the bird logo. The X looks a little bit sinister. I'm not a fan. No, I mean, and also I can't remember anything that ever was rebranded with a different name that was then an improvement on the old name uh, and which then didn't sort of fail miserably. Apart from Prince. Prince. The artist formerly known as Prince. Bless him. I think he, I think he carried on and did great things with, without his name. But yes, I Yeah, but except everybody calls him Prince. <laughs> you just right, called him that enough. yourself. Well, you know what? Let's, let's just keep calling it Twitter. Let's just refuse yeah. to get stuck. Let's, let, let's not use X. Exactly it's right. Exactly right. Um, finally. But do you call Marathon Marathon or Snickers? I call it a Snickers as that's what it's called. Yeah, but it used to be Marathon. Don't you remember? It did used to be Marathon, yeah. But it's not called that Opal anymore. Opal Fruits so, or Starburst. Yeah. Um, I, don't really, I don't really buy those, so I don't really call them anything. Well, maybe, but, but maybe it's because we are literally like Pavlov's dogs. Yeah. We'll, we'll accept a name change if it's for a sweet. Yes. Well, Snickers actually was the original name in America for Snickers, and that's why they called it Snickers here, because Marathon was actually a change of the name from the original. So in the end, actually, Snickers is the real name. Well, Twitter's not sweet enough for me to go with the name change. The other thing is I tweeted yesterday um, along very similar lines to you, Mike. Yeah. I said I wouldn't trust Twitter with um, my money right. because I would be suspicious it would debank me just like it's previously, I think, somewhat shadow banned yeah. me. And guess what happened to that tweet? The replies are hidden. Really? People contacted me to say, I've replied, and I can wow. see there are other replies, but when I look at the front of the tweet, there's no replies. See, I never see Up your tweets anyway. I, there, the there are so many people. I never see your tweets. I very rarely see Julie Hartley Brewer's tweets. I have to go and look for them. It's a very strange system they operate, um, and I don't understand it, really. Let's finally talk about the House of Lords, um, which may or may not be better off replaced by bots. I'm not sure on this one. <laughs> I'm, I, this is a place where maybe bots are required. Um, I thought this was a really interesting story. I think it's inevitable that at at some point machine learning um, uh, and AI will be used in all kinds of organisations. And it's not necessarily a bad thing. It's not necessarily something to be frightened of. I've actually written about AI for the current issue of The Critic. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's out and out, news agents like WH Smith, etc. And I've taken a different approach to most of the media. The the sort of line we're seeing everywhere is AI is a mass extinction threat threats, mass extinction threats. AI is like nukes. We've got to regulate it like nuclear weapons. Uh, The Guardian ran an article the other week, five ways AI could kill you, I think. And my point about AI is it's a tool. It is a really um, incredible tool. At the moment, it's not sentient. And there is no evidence to suggest it will ever be sentient. A lot of the threats that people are worried about are false flags. Where AI is dangerous to us, the ordinary people, is in the realm of algorithmic nudging. So all of us online are these vast groups of people like countries now. You know, Twitter's like a country. Facebook's like a country. TikTok's probably like several countries of young people. Yes. And the thing about AI is it can um, learn a lot about your behavior. It can follow your digital footprint, learn all about you. And it can be sedimented with nudge and behavioral psychology techniques to nudge your behavior. Um, that's a real threat for people, and academics have been warning about it for years. It's a real ethical minefield when it comes to consent, privacy, and manipulation. Mm. This isn't what they talk about in the media. They they give these kind of weird, hyperbolic threats a name. Um, we've even been warned that AI could write a Bible, as though this is supposed to really scare us. Mm. But the worst thing I've seen AI do so far in terms of religion is put the Pope in a white puffer jacket. 
it's it's really not the threat we're being told it is. Now, AI has been trialled in courts and in the police for some years in various countries to see if it can reduce bias. Because this is, you know, this could be a potentially great application. You feed it lots of data and see if you can strip out human bias. Unfortunately, research so far has shown it has not been able to strip out bias. What it does is replicate human bias for various reasons. Mm. Um, the Old Bailey have recently trialled it in their first case. And it was a very sensible application for AI. They used it to go through about 10,000 documents, um, which were old, you know, pre-mobile phone right. records. And it can it can search for words, uh, for language. So it's, it's just a clever way to look through information. Yeah. Now, it would be tempting to laugh and say that um, AI may do a better job than some of our lawmakers and policymakers. I really don't think it's there yet. Um, but, of course, a lot of ABC1s, sipping their shabbly under their wisteria-lined uh, verandas are, are experiencing a slight tremble in their hand as they realise that AI may be coming for their jobs. AI is a threat to um, all kinds of professional classes, mm. including my own, because while AI can't write as well as me, I don't think, not yet, it can actually um, help the average writer quite a lot with research, with drafting. And, uh, and ultimately, that's going to bring everyone's salaries down, potentially, and some people are going to lose jobs. Due to another bias that human beings have, the authority bias, we tend to believe that people in charge or technology is better than it is. It has more authority than it is. And I think at the moment, people are falling into the trap of the authority bias with AI. They assume it can do more than it can. They assume it's going to wield more authority than it does. And this is really egged on by um, philosopher historians who love their time in the spotlight giving TED Talks or um, entrepreneurs who have the entrepreneur bug and academics who are trying to seek funding. People are really talking up something that so far hasn't yet delivered. Mm. Yeah. No, I the totally Lord's agree. The Lord's safe for now, I, I think. think so. I think so. Also, slightly unnerving, all the people warning about the dangers of AI are all the people that invented it, you know, so it's kind of in their gift, isn't it? But listen, got to run. Laura, good to talk to you. Good luck with the uh, the book and everything else. Uh, Free Your Mind um, is the book, of course. Uh, this is um, Laura Dodsworth. Free your mind. If you haven't got it yet, go and get it. Uh, this is Talk TV. Edgy talk, plain talk, unrivaled talk. Mike Graham, the only radio show you can count on for a proper serving of good old-fashioned common sense. In search of the perfect debate. The independent republic of Mike Graham. See it, hear it, think it. Talk radio and talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. We have sashayed into the afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. It is now uh, coming up to six minutes past midday. Uh, we'll be bringing you the news all the way through the day, of course. The big breaking story this morning that we've been talking an awful lot about is the front page of the Daily Mail. Lawyers charging up to £10,000 to make fake asylum claims. It's a great story, uh, but it's not a surprising story to some of us. Out Mehmet is here with me from Migration Watch. We're going to be talking about exactly how widespread this kind of practice is. I've been saying it for a long time uh, that we are in no doubt that there are many, many lawyers uh, who are helping many, many asylum seekers to stay in this country legally when they shouldn't be here in the first place. And a lot of it is about what you say to the Home Office. A lot of it is what you claim is going to happen to you if you get sent back to your country of origin. A lot of it is, you know, making sure that the narrative 
progressive sounds right. And we know for a fact that there are charities in this country, uh, there are left-wing uh, organisations, aid organisations, and there are lawyers and legal companies uh, who basically will tell you how to switch the system, how to play the system, uh, and how to win and beat the system. Al, a very good afternoon to you. Thanks for coming in. Um, Pleasure. Before, before we get stuck into this particular story, I'll give you a few um, migration statistics. Um, 74,751 asylum applications uh, relating to nearly 90,000 people in 2022 uh, are from people who arrived by small boats, right? Britain spent £3.7 billion pounds last year supporting refugees who arrived in the country. 14,223 uh, applications were made by Albanians, the largest national group. Most were lodged by men. Now, um, no doubt many of those men will have said to the Home Office, well, you know, I can't be sent back to Albania because I'm gay and I will be persecuted or because uh, in one particular case, there's a guy who's running a car wash up in Leicester who said he can't go home to uh, to Albania, I think it is, uh, because he's going to be murdered by his wife's family. And when he was asked why that would be, he said, well, because I murdered her. And you go, <laughs> sorry, you know. So all of these claims from people that, you know, they're going to be tortured or they're going to suffer discrimination, they might even be murdered by the state because of their sexuality or whatever, you know, they're being coached. And you know this, and I've known this for many, many years. Finally, now it's kind of become a public knowledge, I suppose. Yeah, I... We've always known that this has gone on. It's, it used to happen back in the 60s and 70s because lawyers, uh, groups who are supporting applicants of one form or another, yeah. they know exactly how to get around the law. Right. And, and this is what happens. And can you... Can you not imagine how an individual, uh, an official dealing with it when he's time after time, he's refused an application and it goes to appeal or mm. whatever and back it comes saying, no, no, the person must be allowed in. In the end, they think, well, what's the point? Yeah. And, and that's why we 75% of those who are uh, of, of applicants are actually refused um, in most other European countries. In, in most other European yeah. countries, at least two-thirds more, uh, one-third one more uh, are actually, let me start again, in France, right. they allow a third of the numbers that yes. we let in. Right. Those that we initially say no to eventually go on to appeal. Right. The vast majority of all of them Actually, whatever the decision will never be forced out, right. will end up staying here. So why wouldn't lawyers who know they can scam and they can get round the system by advising their clients to do this, not do it when they make a, a huge amount mm. of money, as we know, become millionaires, some of them? Yes. They would, of course, do it because we allow them to. Mm. And that is where I think the system is, is falling down. The, the, whole, the whole system is discredited when this sort of thing goes right. on. The asylum system, and it, it brings into disrepute the whole profession, the whole legal yes. profession. I mean, the law firms, think about that. The law firms involved in this undercover sting, which is kind of what it is, what the Daily Mail did was they sent um, individuals into these law firms posing as asylum seekers to see what they would be offered. And basically, one after another, they were offered 
uh, all sorts of methods of finding um, ways of being allowed to stay. And they were given advice. Some of them even told, you can say that you're feeling suicidal, you're suffering from depression, we can provide you with antidepressant pills so you can prove that you're on them. You know, the whole thing is a scam, and we've known it from day one. Some of these law firms have since supposedly got rid of the people that were making those offers, and they're no, trying that's to not make good out. Enough, no, frankly. they're trying to make out. Well, what I was being told by a couple of people tweeting in earlier was, why don't we look back at these law firms and some of the cases that they've represented, and see who those people are, and see whether that might be something that could be followed up on. I, I think there's a great deal that could be followed up on. Look, if if you talk to the applicants at length, you can easily show mm. that the whole thing is a tissue of lies. Right. The problem is we haven't got sufficient resources. Immigration officials are being told, you know, these are the criteria to which we've got to work right. to, and this is the sort of time. There's a lot of pressure because mm. of the people waiting to be cleared, the, the people in the queue, 160,000. Right. So there's a hell of a lot of pressure on our officials actually to make the right decision. Mm. And the right decision is... Get rid of them. Yes. Get them out of the way. That is wrong. What we should be doing is providing the right resources, giving time to immigration officials to talk, to judge mm. whether or not a person is actually telling the truth. Yes. None of that can happen any longer. And that is why numbers will continue to go up and up and up. Well, that's the problem. Rishi Sunak has actually tweeted out about this today, uh, quoting the, the story itself from the Daily Mail, saying, this is what we're up against. The Labour Party, a subset of lawyers, criminal gangs, they're all on the same side, propping up a system of exploitation that profits from getting people to the UK illegally. I have a plan to stop it. So he says, and whether or not you believe him, uh, he says, first, I recently passed laws that will mean if you come to the UK illegally, you can't claim asylum, you can't misuse our modern slavery protections, you can't make false human rights claims, you can't stay. These laws go further than any government has gone before. That's all fine, but will they be able to prove that people are lying? They seem to me to want to need to be a lot more sceptical of some of these claims, um, because one of the arguments that the lefties always make, and the lefty lawyers always make as well, you know, 80% of the people who claim asylum in Britain actually get it. So therefore, they must deserve it. And well, you go, well they, actually, let's go they around don't the other actually way. get asylum. They get to stay here, which is very different. Yeah. I, I, I agree. Frankly, the people who are getting away with it now can quite easily be countered if we did it properly. And mm. we're not at the moment. And it's all very well for Rishi Sunak to say this is what's going to happen now. But we've heard it before, frankly. And we have also... We, we know that those who are coming in, will they be all detained? Will they all be removed? Mm. If that doesn't happen, all it will do is encourage more and more to come. Mm. I hope it works and I hope the new legislation, which is necessary, does work and it is implemented. I still have my doubts at this stage. Mm. It remains to be seen whether it actually works. Yeah. I mean, one of the things he says he's done is also to secure the largest ever small boats deal with France, which will see 40% more patrols on French beaches. The first 60 French reservists were deployed this week. So it'll be interesting to see whether that's made any difference. Well, I, I can't say because I don't know what the numbers are this week of people coming over. Uh, we are more or less, the weather's been bad last few days. We're pretty the wind much probably at the same, same sort of level as we were last year, just under what mm. we were at this time this year right. uh, th this year to what we were last year right. so yeah uh, th it seems to have eased 
partly because there, there are fewer Albanians coming, yeah. frankly. But rather than say we're going to have uh, an agreement with the French whereby they stop the boats mm. setting off, why not get an agreement with the French that says take these people back yeah. who you don't want anyway and very often you've rejected yeah. for asylum in your own country? Why won't you take them back? Right. Then they will say, well, the EU, blah, blah, blah. Presumably won't. they'll say, well, we've rejected their asylum claims, so they can't come here. Right, which is what they should say. Which is what we should say. This is right? that's well, if if you can't get asylum in France or in Germany or right. in any other country that that you've been through, frankly, we don't want you either. No. But hey, the House of Lords says no, 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 no. This is wrong because they're they're all deserving of asylum yes. because they're all fleeing persecution. I don't understand why the the legal um, sort of system in this country, whether it's the Court of Appeal or the House of Lords or whichever body it is, can't actually take things on um, a sort of extraneous basis to say that why don't we assume that all of them are not. Um, have not got the right to stay here or to come here and occasionally take the odd exception and say, OK, well, you can because this is a good reason. You have to Instead have a law that says way. that, Mike. Yeah. And, and we don't. At the moment, it's framed in such a way that the, the government, we have to demonstrate that it's false. Mm. We have to show and give evidence why we believe that what they're saying is wrong, yeah. is a lie. Yeah. At the moment, really, anyone who says, I'm fleeing persecution, I'm being abused, mm. and this is, has, here's a photograph to do it, and these, this is a report of yeah. what has been going on. At that stage, we have to prove that that is false, that they're not fleeing yeah. persecution. And that is the devil's own job, really, to, yeah. to do so that. So the burden of proof should really be on them, shouldn't it? Well, to prove uh, that they are absolutely. who they say they are, that absolutely. they're coming from... Because I'm absolutely. sure there will be people coming from countries and saying they're coming from other countries. Well, and that happens time and time again. Yeah. And it happened from the Middle East when people were claiming to, claiming to be one nationality and they were from somewhere totally different. Mm. But a lot of the people in, in this um, Daily Mail report were, in fact, from India. Yeah. Now, is, is that really the sort of country where we can expect thousands of people to be coming, mm. claiming... Uh, asylum, we're fools. Yes, really, we're being conned, and we we're are. allowing ourselves to be conned. And the taxpayer is the one who foots the bill. Yeah, that's what. Well, I was saying about the it. thing about this business is it's a very good business. The the, the the people in it are making a awful lot of money. Whether it's the human traffickers, whether it's the, the lawyers, whether it's the people selling the dinghies, whether it's the uh, hotels putting them up, whether it's the um, you know the lawyers on the other end actually kind of you know making sure they can stay everyone's making money out of this apart from the taxpayer who are, who are footing the bill for it all yeah exactly and, and it's about time it stopped frankly yeah. those who are guilty of these offenses should be tried jailed and then where appropriate deported and any no law question. firm that's been involved in this type of behavior should they not have shut their down. licenses pulled shut down immediately yeah you know, That's not, not good enough to just go, oh, yeah. yeah, we didn't know that was happening, so yeah. now we've let the guy go. Uh, and, um, frankly, they should be prosecuted as well. They're breaking the law. Yeah. They're diverting the course of, the, of, of justice in a way that you don't expect well, your fraud, loyal, your legal representative yeah. to be doing it. 
it's it's shocking. It, it really, really is. is. It's extraordinary. But as I say, not surprising because we've been saying this for a very long time. Uh, Alpine Migration Watch have been on this for many, many years, long before it became a sort of trendy subject to even discuss on the BBC. I mean, they've only just started to discover it in the last six months. Sometimes discussed on the BBC. Sometimes, yeah, when they're not uh, telling lies about the weather. But that's another story. Um, Alp, thank you very much indeed. Alp Mermit's here. Uh, Coming up, we're going to be doing the World of Woke, of course. We'll take more of your calls as well. Uh, This is Talk TV. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show tense one Monday to Friday on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app. If you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc., Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.